Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Beth Gerstein, co-founder and CEO of 17-Year-Old Brilliant Earth, a fine jewelry company that describes itself as digital first. Brilliant Earth went public in the fall and reported great growth in 2021, but it also was the first national retailer to pull Russia diamonds from its supply chain. I wanted to ask about the impact on the company and about the future of fine jewelry as the definition of luxury evolves. Welcome, Beth. Thanks, Jill. Great to be here. Great to have you. Welcome. So tell me, I was mentioning ahead of the, the recording, longer, you've been around longer than I thought. What was happening in twenty in 2005? You launched with a co-partner, correct? I did. And right about then, I was in the process of getting engaged myself and looking for a diamond engagement ring that was consistent with my values and had a really challenging time finding something that I could really feel good about. I would go into different jewelers. I would ask, where do your diamonds come from? And I just never got a straight answer. And so I ended up talking to my co-founder who was working on a a business plan to really think about reimagining the experience within fine jewelry, which was very traditional, really outdated. And together we co-founded Brilliant Earth. Amazing. Yeah. I've heard a lot about the the diamond industry and the I guess, slow, talk about slow to evolve luxury, but it's especially particular for, for jewelry, yeah? It is. It's, it's very traditional. You know, it's an industry that is really dominated by local independents. About two-thirds of the industry are your neighborhood jewelers. So it's, it's an industry that hasn't really evolved, I think, the same way, hasn't really focused on what today's consumer is focusing on. And, and really, that's how we disrupted the industry and and created an entirely new experience, a new brand that resonated with this younger generation of consumers. Yes. What does this consumer want? Is it, I know that in recent years, post 2005, um, I'm sure you've seen competition in this space, more more jewelers arise that maybe they do um, e-commerce only, maybe they do a try on at home model. Did you launch online? Was that always Um, again, that was early in the game. We were e-commerce driven in the beginning, but actually really thought Omnichannel was the right model in this space. So very early on, we opened our San Francisco showroom. And because it's a considered purchase, customers like to know that there's a showroom nearby. It helps to drive conversion. I think it just depends on the customer. Some really feel very comfortable buying online and some like to to go in and touch and feel the product. So we want to be able to cater to a variety of different shopping methods, whether you're emailing us, calling us, virtual appointments. We've really expanded our touch points, but want to make sure that it's a very seamless omni-channel experience. Yes. Talk about your path to growth and what did it mean prior to the IPO going public? Was growth just driven? Was it driven by category expansion? Was it driven by market expansion? What was driving your growth? I think that the base is really around the brand and growing brand awareness. I was mentioning on on my last earnings call that we went from 54% to 62% brand awareness. And that's really about the resonance that we have. We're a mission-driven company. We have a premium, unique, personalized product offering. It's an omni-channel experience. And I think those three aspects, the brand, the product, and the experience 
really help to fuel the overall growth and making sure that we're speaking to that consumer and that we have the right product, that we have the the experience for them. I think all of that has, has been key and shows that the initiatives that we have are really working. For sure. Well, you mentioned, um, I guess, quality. Um, I know diamonds can be a, a murky business. Tell me about what your customer wants to know in terms of where you're sourcing. Is that at the forefront of your messaging? How would you describe that? Yeah, we were really founded with a mission to transform the industry to make it more responsible, sustainable, transparent, inclusive. These values are very important to the younger consumer, where I think sustainability is table stakes. When customers were coming to us, they really knew that we were doing a lot of diligence on their behalf. We were the first jeweler to offer beyond conflict-free diamonds, which were traceable to their origins and provided a much higher level of transparency in terms of where the diamonds were mined, the conditions, you know, they were cut and polished. Just overall, the the transparency, I think, is important to the customer and it's something that we really value. Nice. I'm jumping the, jumping the gun a little bit, but I know you've also um, enabled, I guess, transparency through the blockchain. What is happening there? It's very high tech of you. <laughs> yeah, we, we started to integrate blockchain into our supply chain several years ago, and it provides a lot more transparency to the customer in showcasing the journey of a diamond. So you're able to see the rough carat weight, a lot more about the manufacturing process, And I think it just adds that extra layer of confidence. It also provides a lot of back-end automation for our compliance efforts because we have very strict uh, supplier standards in terms of chain of custody. So I think that it's been a, a nice, very nice added technology that really powers some of the sustainability efforts that, that we showcase to our customers. Yeah, as transparency becomes so crucial and as an authenticity and in terms of garments, especially luxury, I, are you surprised that blockchain hasn't taken off more? So you've been dabbling this or working with this for years, and it seems like it's just now become a buzzword or, or a hot topic. Um, is this just like the norm in, in fine jewelry? I think that I would expect that it would have higher adoption. I think it's just a little bit of a slower industry in terms of adopting new technology, but I think there's a lot of benefits and certainly the younger consumer, which is really the the core of our industry, it's something that they care about. So I, I'm hopeful that adoption's only going to grow and we're really leading in terms of introducing that technology. Very cool. Tell me about the road to IPO. Why was it important to you? What impact has it made on the company? Well, I feel like the IPO was 16 years in the making. You know, initially we bootstrapped the company. We started it from my apartment and we've just been growing very steadily year after year. And the IPO was a, a nice natural progression for the company. I wouldn't say things have changed fundamentally. We're still very focused on driving long-term success in building this brand, in launching new showrooms in increasing our assortment with fine jewelry. And I think it was just a a nice evolution. It's we're a really disciplined, really conservative company, um, very focused on delivering value. And I think it's been great in terms of brand visibility. And, you know, really, I, I think it was really positive for the company. 
Yes. Let's talk about the size of the company. I know um, in Q4 of 2021, or for the year of 2021, um, which is significant during a pandemic, hello, a 51% increase in your net sales. Um, you reached three, 380.2 million um, in, in revenue for the year. Um, right. Yes. Yes. Well, tell me, um, obviously, this was a, was this a record year for you. Um, and tell me about the, during the pandemic, what was the challenge? Well, you know, I think there are a lot of challenges during the pandemic. One of them was just in terms of supply chain disruptions. And we built the company to have a very nimble supply chain, to be able to have a lot of flexibility. Um, and that was really important for our success. Like we didn't stop our operations. We responded very quickly. And because we're data-driven, I, I think we're always looking at data to inform our decisions Right when the shutdown happened, we launched virtual appointments. We were the first roller to do that. And customers responded really well. But making sure that we were able to continue to deliver excellent quality in the turnaround time that customers were looking for was you know, always a challenge, but something that we were able to step up to. That's amazing. How many team members do you have? Um, we are close to 500 at this point. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. And the team is amazing. So we're really lucky to have everyone. That's great. Are you working from home? Are you guys all in an office? Are you nationwide? We are nationwide, uh, have a variety of different locations. So we've been very used to working flexibly across locations. And because we have our 19th showroom is opening this week, we're just really used to everybody, I think, being collaborative, which I think is key in today's environment. Totally. Let's talk about the breakdown of kind of who's shopping online versus who in, who's in showroom. Most most sales are happening online these days. That's right. And that's, I think, also a factor that we're still early in our showroom journey. So the fact that we just launched our 19th, we're, we're hoping to continue to open showrooms near our customers. You know, we find our customers, some of them are really motivated. I just heard a story about a customer that drove four hours to their nearest showroom. And, and that just gives me a lot more confidence. You know, our showrooms as I said, are really, it's about creating a seamless experience. And they're very differentiated in terms of what customers can expect. So typically, a customer will book an appointment online. We know what they're looking for. They tell us about their preferences. So when they come into the showroom, it's highly personalized. It's really serene. It's joyful. It's very different than that high pressure experience that they might be used to if they walk into a mall or their neighborhood jeweler. I feel like it's it's just that type of experience is why we have such a great response and a great NPS. We have 75 net promoter score with our customers and that's something that we are really, really focused on. That's so great. Tell me how, how many stores is ideal for you? Well, you know, we're we're still, I think, launching this year. We are um, getting our goal is to sign about fifteen leases and opening the majority of them this year. So hopefully, ending the year close to thirty. I think that we're not we're not talking about thousands. We really want to make sure we have an efficient model overall that is able to have nice returns and also have that great customer experience. Yes. And opening them, opening showrooms where your customer is, has that meant a large focus on LA, on New York? Is it kind of, I don't know, lesser likely suspects? Actually, it's a 
I would say it's a variety um, across the U.S. They were looking at major metros and having you know several in a metro, and then we're also looking at smaller markets, and we're seeing success kind of throughout. And the great thing about being digital first is we're able to see where our customers are, where the brand is resonating, and then we use that data to inform our real estate decisions. And that's how we've been having such consistent success as we're launching these showrooms. Yes. What's the in-store experience? And it has that, obviously you're doing great virtual styling or assisting online, which is awesome and next level. Um, What are the expectations for your luxury customer in-store? Very high expectations. And, you know, we are always trying to up-level. But when customers come in, as I mentioned before, it's, it's very curated. So we have the diamonds, the styles that they're interested in. You know, it's a very one-on-one type of experience, so highly consultative, education-driven. You know, we typically find couples shopping together, and so it's really important for us to be able to speak to the proposer, the proposee, really all genders that are involved in the purchasing process. And then that seamless integration with digital is also really important. So at after the appointment, if you're still debating on what to buy, you'll see we have a, a really nice digital clienteling experience where you're able to see all of the items that you saw in your appointment online and then along with additional recommendations. So it's that combination of digital and physical that really unlocks the value there. For sure. Are you, do you, I guess, see the showroom also as a marketing tool? Um, tell me how you're marketing the brand for those who haven't yet heard of it and getting the word out and acquiring, uh, I guess, going up to bat and get against those new competitors. We think about um, marketing in a variety of different ways. Really, word of mouth, I think, is a, a big driver for us. So making sure that we are providing that premium customer experience is essential. Word of mouth drives about two-thirds of our sales. So oh, we wow. just recognize how important that overall brand awareness is for the company. And we really think about optimizing across all points along the funnel, that upper funnel marketing. We're really thinking about video, for example, that's been very successful for us. But because we're digital first, we've been doing digital marketing really from the beginning. We're constantly optimizing across different channels. And I think that has served us well to be very flexible. We're also really investing in social media, which for our community is very important. About 81% of proposees will look for social, for inspiration, for their ring purchase. And so it's it's core and it's why we really look to that community in terms of investing. Oh, great. When you say um, channels for digital advertising and also social channels, um, is it Instagram where you're focusing your efforts, Facebook? Um, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Real Snapchat, it's really all the the platforms that our customers are using. It's important to be where they are. Tell me about uh, using TikTok to market to you. Is it, is it Gen Z? I feel like I keep trying to get out of this habit of calling TikTok Gen Z because so many people are on it nowadays. Um, but yeah, is that who you're targeting or who you're finding? Who yeah, you're reaching? I would, I would say Gen Z. I mean, it's, it's obviously exploding in popularity and you know, we're, it's earlier days, but we're continuing to experiment with what the right voice is, um, how we can amplify our brand, really make it fun, education driven. Obviously, our product is beautiful. So 
you know, people ogling brilliant earth rings is, is something that you can definitely find on TikTok. And then thinking through who are the best influencers to really represent our brand. So I think we're, we're having great early success and we're going to continue to invest in the, um, in TikTok generally. Tell me about your approach to working with influencers. Cause like a diamond ring is not like a sundress. Like, are you gifting these things? So in terms of influencers, I think what's great about our brand is because of the sustainability values that we have a lot of incoming requests and we're able to work with influencers that really, I think, are more collaborative, that represent our brand really well. We add a nice halo. And so, you know, we look at a variety of different models, but really thinking about how can we speak authentically to their audience and use them as amplifiers. Okay, great. Are you working with anybody? We just talked a lot about the Kravis wedding. Let's just talk pop culture for a minute <laughs> and the sponsored, how it was sponsored. Like, have you worked with brides who are influencers to, to maybe provide their wedding ring for, for coverage in that way? Yes, absolutely. We've also worked with some celebrities. We just um, dressed Dove Cameron for the Met Gala. So she was wearing oh, our earrings oh. and that was great. So you know, definitely looking at influential brides as, as part of the amplifier. Let's talk brides, um, wedding boom for sure. Supply chain issues all about how have you guys navigated this challenge? Well, our supply chain, as I said before, is it's very nimble. We're very inventory light. And so we're able to scale up as we see increasing demand that served us very well during the pandemic. And now as we're seeing weddings at an all-time high, as you mentioned, is about 2.6 million weddings expected this year, which is the most weddings we've seen in decades. So we're very well equipped to be able to service our customer, to offer our beautiful products. We also have really expanded our assortment with bridal jewelry, which I think is exciting. So all members of the bridal party are able to wear our beautiful jewelry. Um, but supply chain for us, because how nimble we are, because of the geographic diversity, because we're capital efficient, really, we haven't seen many disruptions. So we're lucky there. That's fantastic. Outside of um, just more weddings, um, in terms of customer behavior and what they're shopping for or how they're shopping, how would you describe some of the changes you've seen in the last two years? Well, I would say that you know, customers are increasingly looking at jewelry with more meaning and that's more personalized, that's more unique. And that's something that we are definitely able to offer a broad assortment for we introduced a Fairmind jewelry collection and it sold out. It was incredibly popular and it also speaks to customers that are looking for more in the products that they buy. I also think that, you know, you see a lot more people who are comfortable buying online, you know, as people are entering, you know, leaving their home more, we're seeing people coming into the showroom. So we're seeing, I think, a lot of success in that omni-channel model that I was talking about. For sure. Well, who is your customer? What do you know about him, her, uh, their loyalty? Our customer is 25 to 40. So we're really that focus on millennial and Gen Zs. They're customers that really care about sustainability, transparency. We typically have a, a, a bit of a higher income customer, but we do have a breadth of different price points to make sure that we're able to cater to that customer 
um, regardless of if they're buying a $1,000 item or a $100,000 item. So making sure that we're able to offer really nice products across the different price points is important to us. Yeah, we're hearing that kind of across luxury brands how and brands in general about kind of the gravitating toward uh, classic pieces that say we're in lockdown, they'll still be in style. God forbid, they'll still be in style next year. Um, what can you tell me about, I guess, maybe your nimbleness or even desire? Like for instance, I'm seeing a lot of um, on a trend front, these like tennis necklaces. I don't know, yes. if, you know if you do that, but do you, do you drop things and say, we need to come out with that? That's hot right now. Absolutely. You know, because we are very data-driven, we're always looking at customer behavior and trends and we're able to launch new products incredibly quickly. So we can launch a new product in three to four months oh, wow. as we're seeing the trends. And that allows us to be able to capture tennis necklaces or pearl jewelry or yellow gold. All of these are trends that we've been able to capitalize on and really introduce into our assortment. You know, we, we think we're trend leading in terms of design. It's very important for our customer. About 99% of our customer purchases really are influenced by design. So that is crucial. And being able to respond quickly to trends is very important. I would say that the jewelry trend cycle does tend to be longer. And so as you're investing in, in that product assortment, I think you're able to, to get a really nice trend cycle there. And because we're inventory light, we're able to launch a lot of our products online. We don't have to launch it in all of the different showrooms that we have before we're able to see if customers respond well. And that's a real advantage for us as a digital first company. Yes. Tell me about the the diamonds coming out of Russia. Obviously, that's a huge, huge industry. And I know you were quick to move. Um, well, tell me about the decision, what, the move to go there quickly and, and how that's affected the, the company. Yeah, as you said, Russia and diamonds are a big part of the supply chain. They're about a third of the industry's diamonds. And Alrosa, which is the main um, diamond company, is government owned as well. So right after the invasion happened, we just knew it was the right decision for us to immediately stop offering Russian diamonds. And because we're able to offer the origin for each of our diamonds, we know where our diamonds are coming from. We have transparency in terms of re removing them from our supply chain. We were able to do that immediately. And I think that's important for customers because chances are, you know, one out of three diamonds are from Russia. I think it's it's a nice peace of mind uh, to to make sure that you're not supporting this invasion. Yeah. Tell me about that year of 2022, the year ahead. Are you projecting the consistent growth with maybe 2021, which was impressive in itself? Or um, yeah, what are you foreseeing? We're still seeing strong growth this year. I think the weddings are really a nice tailwind for the company overall. We're opening a number of new showrooms, and that's also, I think, helping to fuel our growth. And we continue to expand our fine jewelry assortment, which has been growing you know, at, a, at a really nice rate there. So overall, I think a lot of the initiatives that we have been working towards are just going to continue to pay off, and we're going to see the company positioned to be a category leader, um, which I think is exciting for Brilliant Earth. For sure. Tell me really quickly, the um, 
for those who don't know, like the breakdown of your wedding jewelry, like what percentage of sales is that? Are more men, are you catering to more men via specific men, specific styles? Um, yes. What, what's your product offering in, in general? We have a, a really nice assortment across bridal and engagement rings, across men's and women's wedding bands, anniversary gifts, um, special occasions, also self-purchase. We're actually launching men's fine jewelry, which is really exciting. Oh, we have a lot of um, questions. We always get requests for it. And so that collection, I think, is going to be really nice and additive. More and more men are wearing jewelry now. We see in our bands that they really respond to more distinctive styles. And I'm really excited to see how that collection performs. That sounds fantastic. Well, we talked about your growing company in terms of headcount. Um, I know, obviously, you're a female leader, um, a large female uh, board of large percentage of your board of directors, I believe. But anyway, tell me about the importance of having, um, I would say, DE&I within the, within the workplace, ensuring that that's happening and also ensuring that you're not going to be, <laughs> it's probably a differentiator as all the other um, diamond companies are are led by these men and maybe family businesses, but tell me about the importance of diversity. Yeah. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are really core to the company. And, you know, as you mentioned, we're a female, I'm a female CEO. We have a female majority board of directors, um, a female majority leadership team. Females represent about 80% of our company. So it's, I think really it was core to our founding. And I think it really does provide a nice uh, competitive advantage for the company as we cater to a really diverse customer base. Also, it's Pride Month, so happy Pride Month. Yeah. And, you know, we have a really nice um, gender fluid collection. So we would just want to make sure that we are catering to a diverse customer need and, and being very inclusive in terms of our team, in terms of our offering, in terms of our overall community. Perfect. Prior to the IPO, tell me about your approach to to fundraising and kind of how you were um, prioritizing profitability versus yeah versus fundraising. It's such a it's such a decision, I guess, to, to where how far to go. We I think took a little bit of a different tact than a lot of other direct to consumer companies. As I mentioned from the beginning, we were really were bootstrapped for many years. We raised a very small amount of funding in 2012, so about a decade ago now, and wanted to make sure that we ran the business in a very profitable, sustainable way. And I think that is you know, how we've been able to, to grow in a very responsibly. Because we're capital efficient, that was also a nice growth avenue for the company as well. Um, but having that focus on profitability, on delivering value, that's something that, frankly, we've had for many years. You know, a lot of other companies raised a lot of money, and I don't think have the same discipline that we've just is inherent to our culture. For sure. Well, we have a lot of founders and entrepreneurs who listen to the podcast. Um, obviously, you you started small, built, 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 and you've reached this incredible milestone of IPO and, and some of your numbers recently. But I, I don't know, any, I guess, personal tidbits of advice in terms of getting there? I'm sure it's tenacity, but um, yeah, what were some secrets along the way? Uh, certainly perseverance is key. You know, we made... I'm sure any number of mistakes 
And I think that actually has been really healthy for us. You know, we're always testing and learning and we don't consider, you know, failures of tests a failure. We consider them learning opportunities, but we want to make sure that we have, you know, we're not overly reliant on any one particular vendor on any one particular approach. So just making sure that you're very measured in how you run the business. I think that's been key to, to our success. Yes. In terms of your large customer, your large company and an insuring company culture, um, as everyone's all over the place and you're growing, um, any secrets there as well? Um, are you guys working on zoom? Like we're on zoom now. Um, and just, yeah. Yeah. Connectivity. The team is so crucial. I think that who you hire, the culture that you cultivate is incredibly important. And frankly, we wouldn't be here today without the strength of our team, our commitment to customer, to our mission. You know, we're very, very much focused on embracing growth and change with our team. And part of that is embracing a more, you know, some more flexible working arrangements. Uh, I think we are very tech savvy. So we're able to use technology in a way that makes cooperation and collaboration very seamless. And that's served our team very well. But certainly, I think making sure that the team is happy and, and you're able to cultivate a strong culture, that, that's been instrumental to our success. Yes. And last question, your long-term vision for the company, like what's your ultimate goal at this day and age, you know, better than to, <laughs> to, I guess, plan ahead or how would you describe that? We are very well positioned to be category leaders, to be the next generation jeweler for this millennial and Gen Z audience. And we are very, uh, very well positioned with our jewelry, with our product experience and brand to be that leader. And that's really what we're aiming for. Yes. Do we all need a tennis necklace? What, what's the hot thing now? Actually, I was just wearing a tennis necklace and I think they're beautiful and everyone should have one. They're gorgeous. I agree. I'm obsessed. All right. <laughs> Beth, this was so fun. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Jill. It's been great. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.